Hello, everyone. Can I use this thing here? Yeah, uh, good to be with you guys. Uh, so chuffed. Um, yeah, Constantiaberg is going really well. If you don't know, I was leading the team that led the church at, uh, at Constantiaberg, but at the end of January, I handed over that role of leading the church to a guy called Mark, along with his wife, Megs, and they got three awesome kids from Joburg, and uh, it's going so well. I mean, I'm stress-free a lot of the time. Uh, you know, you've got to pray for Andre, pray for Sabrina, pray for your elders. It's a, it's a real, uh, it's a, both a burden and a joy to lead a team that, that leads a, a church. And uh, it's going so well. It feels like when you just say yes to God, you know, things go well. And so it feels like just in saying yes to God, we are experiencing just his favor. We're looking for a venue at the moment, so we're chatting with the NG Kerk in Constantia. They've got this awesome venue, and we're trying to figure out a way that we can bless them and we can get blessed by them, so it's mutually helpful. And so we're hoping to have two churches meeting on one property, um, and so that's all in the works, so we're trusting that goes through. But, uh, and we've just had a team come back from Uganda. You know Colin and Joyce Davids, they come here occasionally. They've just come back from Uganda. I think they landed on... Thursday afternoon, just to strengthen and hang out with Moses and Sarah, who lead a whole bunch of churches in Uganda. So, yeah, things are going well, which is a nice, we've had our ups and downs, but it's, a, it's been a good season, and God is always faithful. So thanks for asking, man. But good to be here. Are you guys all doing well? Uh, we're tracking the same series as you through 2 Corinthians, and, uh, and so it's great for me to be able to come here and, and carry on and share that journey with you. Um, my wife and my kids didn't come with me today. They're in Constantiaberg. They, I think they promised them that there's going to be a jumping castle this week, and that was it. I had no chance to get them to not go along to church, and they were dressing up, I think, so I don't even know what they wore, but they are very excited. Um, but it's been 12 weeks. Has, have you guys done 12 weeks now in 2 Corinthians? 11. So this is the 12th, so same as us. We, we've been in this sub-series, so we're looking by the end of this year would probably have worked our way through the whole of 2 Corinthians, and we split it up into these little sub-series just to give us some more bite-sized chunks. This first bite's been a big one, 12 weeks, and we've looked at a gospel strength for weak people. <laughs> yeah, that's what we need to hear, gospel strength for weak people. And so it's been three months, 12 weeks, that we've been looking at chapters 1 to 7. I'm wrapping up chapter 7 today, and in chapter 7, Paul pulls together all the strings of what he's been writing about for these previous six chapters, and we find out how things end. Because there's been tension between him and the Corinthians. There's been a lot of stuff he's had to deal with. There's been relational breakdown, trust breakdown. We don't know how it ends, but Paul's been contending. And there was a long time Paul didn't know how it would end, if it would go well between him and the church. Have you ever, have you ever recommended a restaurant or like a meal? You know, hey, if you go to that place, order this thing, it's going to be amazing. And then they go off and you start to stress thinking, I hope it's nice. <laughs> I hope that person's making the coffee or I hope that person's making the food so that it's nice. And you start to worry about it. Well, that's a little bit about what's happening in Paul's life. He's been, and the stakes are much higher than food, excuse the pun. Uh, he's been... He's been giving the church advice, calling them to follow God, calling them to be faithful to the gospel, but he doesn't know if they're going to take his advice or not. And so he's worried about it. He's worried about it. You know, he's, okay, let me just spoiler alert. It all ends well. Yay. We like happy endings. So it all ends well. But, but that's one of the reasons I'm loving this passage today. There's actually two reasons. The first one is we all love happy endings. 
But Paul wants us to know without doubt that the result was far from guaranteed and actually the journey to get to the end was tumultuous. It was painful. It was costly. It wasn't an easy road. So we celebrate the happy ending, but we've got to recognize that that actually on the way, the journey isn't always so easy. And I think it's good for us to hear that. So I think as people, we tend to be a little pain averse. We don't like pain. If we can, we avoid pain. We avoid any pain, kind of any kind of cost. We don't like the idea of difficulty. We try and avoid difficulty as much as we can. But I think that's foreign to the way the Bible teaches us. But actually, life is filled with difficulty. Life is filled with pain to varying degrees. And actually, God is at work in our pain. That God is journeying with us through the highs and through the lows. So that's one of the reasons I'm enjoying today. The second one is because, second reason I love today is because there's one or two things that we're going to learn that I think are so massive in shaping the kind of people we're becoming as Christ followers. And I think if we can take hold of one, of the, one or two of the things I'm going to speak about today out of this text, I think we're going, to, we're going to grow in maturity, not only as individuals, but as a church, as a people, growing into maturity. I think we'll become more compelling as Christ followers. The community will be more compelling to people looking into who God is and who Jesus is. And also, I think our effectiveness in seeing God's kingdom come will increase. So man, there's a lot to be excited about, a lot for us to open our hearts to, to take hold of. So let me just tell you where we're going today. There's going to be, I'm looking at four movements, and I'm going to read the text in just a little while. We're going to look at Paul's appeal for reconciliation. He wants to be reconciled. I know you looked at that a little bit last week. Titus, and then the second movement is Titus brings word of feedback about the severe letter. I'm going to tell you about that. We're going to look at the journey to repentance And we're going to see that repentance brings encouragement and joy. So I'm going to pray for us, then we're going to read God's word. Join me in praying. God, when we come before your word, we are not over it. We're under your word. We're under your word's authority. That what we read and what we see you telling us and speaking to us, God, that's authoritative in our life. And so we want to say right from the outset that have your way in us. Transform us, change us, shape us, mold us. Give us ears to hear, eyes to see what it is you're saying to us this morning. In our own circumstances as a local church, God, that you would use this time and and your power of your words and your spirit to transform us, that we're not the same. Thank you that you're wanting to speak into our our individual circumstances, our pains, our joys, our struggles, our decisions. God, that you would, that we would receive what you have for us today with joy. Amen. Okay, well, let's get reading. I don't know, we, we actually, the, the chapter we're reading today, chapter 7, verse 2, actually picks up from chapter 6, verse 13. So last week's text, it, it's kind of called the Great Digression. Paul kind of goes on a tangent about, you know, don't be yoked with unbelievers. And he writes, you know, what do believers have in common? You know, light and dark, Satan and God. And then, and then he picks up what he was writing about in chapter 6. verse. So if you look at chapter 6, verse 13, it says, As a fair exchange, I speak to you as my children, open wide your hearts also. Then he goes on and speaks about don't be yoked with unbelievers. Then in this chapter that we're reading now, Verse 2, it says, make room for us in your hearts. So you can see he's picking up from verse 13. 
So this is our text for today. Make room for us in your hearts. We have wronged no one. We have corrupted no one. We have exploited no one. I do not say this to condemn you. I have said before that you have such a place in our hearts that we would live or die with you. I've spoken to you with great frankness. I take great pride in you. I'm greatly encouraged in all our troubles. My joys know no bounds. For when we came into Macedonia, we had no rest. But we were harassed at every turn, conflicts on the outside, fears within. But God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus. Now, I'm going to keep reading, but I just want to help us catch up with where we are here. Why was the coming of Titus so important for Paul? Why was this such a big deal for him? Well, we have to understand that this letter, 2 Corinthians, is actually the fourth letter that Paul's written to the church in Corinth. Actually, there were four letters in total. So in the beginning, he planted the church in Corinth, and then he went to Ephesus. And when he was in Ephesus, he heard about trouble in the church back in Corinth, the church that he had just started. And when he heard about this concerning news, he wrote to them a letter, and it's known as the previous letter. It's a clever name for the previous letter. So that was the number one letter he wrote. So he wrote to them. They wrote back to him with a whole bunch of questions, and he answered their questions. That's 1 Corinthians. So if you look at 1 Corinthians, it it speaks to a whole lot of different topics. It speaks because he's writing in response to questions they've had. What does it look like to follow Jesus? How do we manage this? How do we manage that? What does it look like to follow Christ? And so he responds. This is where things get a little bit complicated. So he writes back. He answers their questions. Then what Paul does is he sends Timothy. He says, I'm going to send Timothy to the church in Corinth. He's going to strengthen them. Turns out the church had not responded to Paul's letters well. That actually things were messy. And so Paul decides, I'm going to have to go there myself. So he sends Timothy. Now he goes himself, and things do not go well at all. This is known as the painful visit. The church is not in a good place, and there's conflict between him and the church. In fact, it's so painful that he decides to leave early. Paul doesn't stick around. He says, there's so much pain here. There's so much hurt here. I'm actually going to go to spare them the continued pain of this meeting. See, what had happened is is the church had started to compromise around the gospel. The other voices had started to speak into the life of the church, and and they were contending with the gospel that Paul preached. And also these so-called super apostles that had come into the Corinth, they represented the good life. I mean, they looked good. They dressed good. They were comfortable. Paul, on the other hand, was suffering. You know, he was, you know, there were riots. He was pushed out of towns. He looked weak. He couldn't speak eloquently. And they said, actually, Paul, you are so unimpressive. We don't actually want to hear what you've got to say. We want to listen to these guys. And all of this meant that there was just huge tension in the church. So you have this. And then, and then he sends. So after he leaves, he decides he's going to write to them what's known as the severe letter. He says, I'm not going to visit you again because it's just going to be painful. Instead, he writes to them to spare them the pain. And then he really calls them to be faithful to the gospel. And this severe letter is sent with Titus. So Titus is taking the severe letter to the church in Corinth. And now Paul is waiting to hear what happens. There's no phone calls. There's no WhatsApp calls. There's no Zoom. There's no Skype. There's not even faxes. He's got no way of knowing what's happened in Corinth. This is a severe letter. How did they receive it? How did they treat Titus? He has no idea. So he's waiting. He's waiting. That's why the coming of Titus is so meaningful to Paul as he writes here because Titus is bringing news about what's happened in the life of the church. 
So let's keep reading. Now Paul and Titus find each other. Now you know why this is such a big deal. He says, but God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus. And not only by his coming, but also by the comfort you had given him. He told us about your longing for me, your deep sorrow, your ardent concern for me, so that my joy was greater than ever. Yay! The letter was received well. The strong letter he wrote to the church, calling them to be faithful to the gospel, had done its work, and he was stoked. But now, that's the happy ending, but let's look at the journey. Verse 8 of chapter 7, it says, Even if I caused you sorrow by my letter, it's now speaking about the severe letter he wrote, I don't regret it, though I did regret it. I see that my letter hurt you, but only for a little while, yet now I am happy. Not because you were made sorry, but because your sorrow led you to repentance. For you became sorrowful as God intended, and so were not harmed in any way by us. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regrets, but worldly sorrow brings death. See what this godly sorrow has produced in you. What earnestness, what eagerness to clear yourselves, indignation, what alarm, what longing, what concern, what readiness to see justice done. At every point, you have proved yourselves to be innocent in this matter. So even though I wrote you, it was neither on account of the one who did the wrong nor on account of the injured party, but rather that before God you could see for yourselves how devoted to us you are. So you can tell Paul is, is writing after he's heard the news back from Titus and the church has responded well to your letter. Now he's written to Corinthians in response to that and we can see the positive impact yeah, there was pain, there was difficulty, there was sorrow, and this, well, God was at work in all this. Now, what, what's the result of this repentance? Verse 13, by all this, we are encouraged. In addition to our own encouragement, we were especially delighted to see how happy Titus was, because his spirit had been refreshed by all of you. I mean, Titus must have gone there trembling, bringing this severe letter from Paul. I wonder if Paul said to him, hey, Titus, just drop it off and run, you know, and come back in two days and see how things are going. So he's delighted to see Titus is encouraged. Titus is happy. It's been awesome for him to go into the church, to bring this letter and to see people responding to God faithfully. I mean, how awesome is that for Titus? So because his spirit had been, verse 14, I had boasted to him about you and you have not embarrassed me. Can you imagine Paul saying, hey, these are great people, Titus, and in the back of his mind, he's thinking, I hope they respond well. But just, as everyone we, but just as everything we said to you was true, so our boasting about you to Titus has proved to be true as well. And his affection for you is all the greater when he remembers that you were all obedient, receiving him with fear and trembling. I am glad I can have complete confidence in you. What a brilliant wrap-up of the journey of chapters 1 to 6. All this tension, all this difficulty, all these harsh words spoken in love coming to, coming to this beautiful ending where we see repentance, but not only repentance, when we repent, there's beautiful reconciliation, there's encouragement, there's joy. This is what happens when we repent, when we say yes to God. We get reconciled with people. There's encouragement, there's joy that the church flourishes, the mission of God flourishes. Okay, well, this is God's word. And may God's word transform us. So the four movements in the text. Number one, Paul's appeal for reconciliation. I'm not going to read the text. I've read it, but it's there. Paul's appeal for reconciliation. I love that idea. Make room for us in your hearts. We were in the prayer meeting this morning, and someone said, God, that we would house your word. In other words, that we would make a space in our homes, our hearts, 
for God's word, that we would house it, that we would say, come and live within me, God's word. That's kind of what Paul's saying here. It's just such a vivid picture. He's saying, hey guys, move things around so that there's space for us in your heart. Get rid of some of the junk, get rid of some of the ugliness in your heart so that there's space for us. Now, I know things have been difficult, but you've got to get rid of some stuff, otherwise there's no space. There's no space in our homes for God. And so Paul's asking them to clear some space, make room. You know, what's amazing about this is Paul isn't looking for a truce. He's not thinking, hey, we've had some conflict. Can we just be cordial? Can we just be kind to each other? When I see you, let's smile. When we come to church, let's smile, let's shake hands, let's hug, and then let's just move on with our lives. But actually, there's no real reconciliation. Paul doesn't want that. And we don't want that as Christ followers. We don't want this shallow kind of game where we're just looking for truces and everything's on the surface looks fine, but actually underneath, there's not space in our hearts for each other. Paul doesn't want that. He wants genuine reconciliation. There's this quote by David Grant. It says, We cannot hurt one another without also hurting the work of God in the world. When there's conflict between Christ followers, it's not good for the gospel. It's not good for the advance of the gospel. It's not good for the testimony of the church. We can't let conflict go unresolved in our relationships, especially with people in our own church communities. When there's relational strife, it empties our tanks. It empties our emotional tanks. It dominates our capacity. It distracts us. We're always thinking, like, is this person going to be there? What are they going to say? What do they think of me? Who's that saying? And how do I? And what about all their friends? And we start to think about this and give energy to it, and it just starts to sap us where we could be building beautiful relationships and moving forward with the mission of God and partnering together for the glory of God. We start to get caught up in this relational strife. So Paul's saying, no, no, guys. Make space. We've made, in the previous we read, I've made space for you in my heart. Now you make space in your hearts. He says, I've wronged no one. I've corrupted no one. I've exploited no one. These are obviously accusations. People have been accusing Paul. And he says, it wasn't me, guys. Now here's something I want us to see that's so beautiful. You can put the text back up. Paul isn't trying to condemn them. He's not trying to condemn them. He's not trying to win a fight. He's not trying to take the high moral ground. He's not trying to say, listen, guys, I've got this all sorted, and you guys have really messed this up. And so you need to go and think about what you've done. Come back to me, and when you're ready to apologize, you know, we can chat. That's not Paul's heart here. He is contending. He's saying, my life is tied to your life. You know, when you live, I live. If you die, I die. we tie together. He understands that actually Christian relationships are different to every other relationship. That our relationships, that when you're in a local church, the strength of your relationships and the well-being of each other impacts you deeply. Your maturity can only ever grow when you're part of a local church as much as the maturity of the whole church grows. Can't think of yourself as some isolated tree planted somewhere and that you're gonna, you know, grow to dizzying heights when around you the church isn't flourishing. No, no, we have to ensure that we're all flourishing. Because when we all flourish, we all flourish. We're not separate, we're not made to live on our own. We're tied to each other in the most beautiful way. And Paul contends for relationship. Now, one of the things I love about 2 Corinthians is not only learning about the church and the letter, but but you're getting to know Paul. The guy who wrote this, I mean, he wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. It's interesting to get insights into who he is and, and how he thinks and some of the stuff he had to go through. 
Firstly, he understands the uniqueness of Christian relationships, that his life is tied to their life, that his life is not independent of other Christ followers, that his life isn't independent of the strength of the church. No, no, he's tied to it. Look at the resilience and the perseverance that this guy shows, Paul. This is the man who wrote this letter. He faced rejection from the church. He had false accusations. He was looked down upon. He was cast aside. He was ignored. Even though he was the one who had started the church, he got booted. Here's the truth. Paul had reasonable and legitimate reasons to walk away from the church. He had every right to say, you know what, guys, if you don't want me, I'm gone. I mean, I've got other churches I'm busy. I'm busy in Ephesus. I'm busy in Thessalonica. I don't need Corinth. You guys can do your own thing. That's not his heart. I hope we're feeling, as I'm speaking, a kind of conviction around our own relationships in the life of the local church. Listen, when you're in a local church, things go bad sometimes between people. Maybe it's between other Christ followers. Maybe it's between a leader, life group leader, an elder, or even Andre and Sabrina. So, you know, something happens. And here's the truth. There are reasonable and legitimate reasons for us to sometimes be hurt. Like, yeah, you've got a right to be hurt. You, this was hurtful. It's legitimate. But in the gospel, you find no reason for those relationships to stay broken. There's no legitimate reason. We can have genuine hurt, and I don't want to minimize that, but the gospel calls us to find reconciliation and empowers us to be reconciled to each other. We have to get rid of some of the junk in our hearts to make space for the gospel, to make space for our fellow Christ followers. If, we're, if, we're filling, if our hearts are filled with this pain and, this, and we can't find the space to let the gospel in to lead us to reconciliation, we've got problems. And whichever side of the problem you're on, you could be the one who's, who's like Paul writing to the church. You could be like the church receiving the news. So whether, you, whether you're the one who's hurt or the one you've been hurt, for both of us, there's this responsibility to reconcile. Okay, second movement. Titus brings word of the severe letter. Remember, Paul's writing to this church in Corinth. Things have got bad, and he's contending for them. I'm not going to read the text again. There it is. It's... Paul's been downcast, says right there. He's been downcast. He was run out of Ephesus. So after he planted the church, he went to Ephesus. There the silversmiths were upset with him because he was, pre- he was preaching against the idols. People weren't ordering idols anymore. There was a huge riot and they had to run for their lives. So this guy's just been, he's run for his life. There's been a huge riot. He's not welcome in Corinth. He's troubled about the spiritual health of the church. He's got trouble outside. These riots that are happening, he's not welcome in Corinth. His heart is troubled. The, the church in Corinth is in trouble. He's not sure what's going to happen to the believers in Ephesus that he was just run out of. He's worried about Titus. He has to like, catch a boat, travel there. Then, like, oh, is the church going to take good care of him or not? Is he going to be broken? Is he going to leave ministry because the church actually took it out of him? But then he, he gets this news and he, and he hangs out with his mate Titus. And he's comforted just by being with Titus. Do you have that in your life? Some Christ-following friends, that, that when you're with them, you just feel, oh, it's just so much better. I get to share my life with someone. I, you know, they say your, your joys are doubled and your pain is halved when you're with people. That you just, I, I want to encourage you guys to contend for those kind of relationships. That actually just being with them is, oh, I'm strengthened, I'm encouraged. But not only just by being with them, he's joyed because they responded well to his severe letter. 
They'd responded with affection for Paul. They were worried about how he was doing. They were concerned about him. They had made room. They had got rid of some of the junk in their hearts and said, okay, Paul, we've got room for you in our hearts. And then you can see the joy. He says, I'm greatly encouraged. In all our troubles, my joy knows no bounds. I mean, Paul knows trouble. But yet this joy that wells up in him. You could see how much this means to Paul. The level of joy he experiences in this reconciliation. If it's true that when we hurt each other, the mission struggles, I think it's equally true that when we reconcile, the mission accelerates. Actually, when we make space for each other in our hearts, it's good for the gospel. It's good for us. It's good for the gospel. It's good for the world. It's good for the community. Okay, number three, the journey to repentance. I love, again, Paul's vulnerability. Imagine you're Paul, and you're writing this. And he says, you know, I've got no regret. He says, although I did regret it at first. He's thinking to himself, can you imagine as he wrote the letter, I don't know, did he write it on papyrus? He wasn't chipping it in stone. That was a long time ago. And he gives it to Titus, and he says, Titus, Titus gets on the boat, he goes, and immediately Paul's like, oh, I shouldn't have sent that. It's like you push send on the email, and immediately you're like, oh. You know, was I too strong? Was I too harsh? You know, is it going to push them away? Am I going to lose them? Will they close their hearts to me forever? He's worried. He regrets almost the strength of his letter. He stepped out. He stepped out in faith to say, I'm contending for this relationship at the risk of losing it altogether. Can you see his vulnerability? Obviously, when he hears their response, he doesn't regret it anymore. His candor with them had worked. I want you to track with me here. There's something important for us to learn as, as a local church, as Common Ground Weinberg, as Christ followers. He's not celebrating with them because they were hurt by his letter. He's celebrating because their sorrow led them to repentance. He knows it could have gone another way. He knows that there's another kind of sorrow people can have Paul calls it a worldly sorrow, and it leads to death. It leads to death. Let's, let's look at these two kinds of sorrows. You get this worldly sorrow. You know, when someone comes to speak to you about life or talks to you about something in your life or you recognize something, you can have a worldly sorrow. It's kind of like a shallow remorse. It's like I kind of feel a little uneasy. I've got a few regrets about this one moment, this, this silly thing I did. It's not really sorrow at sin. It's sorrow at being caught. I just, I'm so sorry I got caught doing that. I'm not really that sorry that I did it because, you know, I've got this reason and this thing. And, but I wish I'd never got caught. I feel kind of ugly. I feel a bit embarrassed now when I see that person. You know, this kind of sorrow doesn't take us to God. It doesn't take us to God. It doesn't take us to his grace. It, it can actually leave us a bit bitter. Well, I really regret that moment. Actually, well, that person shouldn't have actually spoken to me about that. Or what were they doing there anyway? And we can kind of build this resentment. We can get self-pity. Like, oh, you know, I did one thing wrong and now everyone thinks I'm... We can kind of experience a sorrow that doesn't take us to God. It just kind of takes us into ourselves and into this sorrow that, that leads to death. Then, then that's one kind of sorrow. Then there's this other sorrow that he calls godly sorrow. Leads to repentance, to salvation, to no regrets. Godly sorrow draws us close to God. It's when, when something's happened, when there's been a breakdown or sin or something's happened in our lives and we come to recognize us, we get driven to God, to his grace. Say, so thank you, God, that, my, that your relationship with me isn't based on my performance. 
That even though I've made a mistake, God, that you still love me, that you forgive me because of Jesus, because of his life. Because when you see me, you see his blood, that I'm wrapped in God's, in Christ's righteousness. And so we can come to God and find strength. Now, repentance means having a change of heart about something. It's soul work. It's when we do soul work with ourselves. It's when we look beyond our actions. We look beyond this thing that we did that's caused us this confrontation. We look beyond that and we ask ourselves, what's happening in my heart that's taken me here? What's happening in my mind that's brought me to this place? Where are my affections? What am I focused on? What am I desiring? What is my heart chasing after that's brought me into this mess? You see, we're looking beyond this moment and saying, hey, there's something happening here that's brought me there. And that's repentance. It's changing our mind. It's a realigning of our minds to God's way, of our hearts to desire God and the things of the kingdom. It's turning away from what took us there, taking us back to God. That's repentance. And that leads to joy and encouragement. It's like the difference between Judas and Peter. Judas and Peter both, um, they both rejected Jesus. They betrayed him. Judas sold Jesus to the religious leaders for some silver. Peter denied ever knowing Jesus. Aren't you the guy that we've seen with him? No, 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 I don't know the guy. Both of them denied him. And look what happened to Judas, Matthew 27. It says, when Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that Jesus was condemned, he was seized with remorse. Sounds godly. I have sinned, he said, for I have betrayed innocent blood. So Judas threw the money into the temple and left, and he went away and hanged himself. Worldly sorrow. Yeah, there's pain. There's a sorrow at sin. There's a regret, but it's not taking it to God. We're sorry we got caught, but we haven't actually, we, we can't be bothered that actually this is sin, that something in my heart isn't right with God. There's something that's not aligned. But look at Peter. Peter, on the other hand, goes and experiences godly sorrow. And he gets restored by Jesus. Ultimately ends up preaching, becoming a pioneer in the emergence of the church. I mean, we know the apostle Peter. These are the two kinds of sorrow we can experience. And it's up to us sometimes to choose. We choose, what what am I going to do with this sorrow? What am I going to do with this sorrow? Am I going to let it take me to God and his grace? Or am I going to let it break me? Okay, so let let me talk a little bit. How does God want to shape us? as Christ followers, you guys as a local church. I think as Christ followers, we have to be concerned about each other's lives. We have to care about how our faith is doing, how your faith is doing, how your faith is doing, how, your, how my, I want you to care about how my faith is doing. We have to be candid with each other. Being candid means, means being wanting to speak the truth to someone Especially about something difficult or awkward. That's the tricky part. It's awkward. It's difficult to speak to each other sometimes about things that run a bit deeper than just, you know, how you're doing. And it can get awkward when you want to say, man, I've seen, I've noticed that this, this trend in your life. And can we just talk about it? Because actually my life and your life are tied together. That's what we see here. We've got to be willing to contend for each other. Paul could have walked away. He doesn't. He contends. He understands that in God that there's something for me that we, we, our lives are together. We have to contend. 
I think we've got to be committed to what I call mutual discipling. Here's a little definition. It's deliberately doing spiritual good to someone so that he or she will be more like Jesus. This is the heart we should be carrying for each other in the local church. Actually, I'm looking for ways that I can do you spiritual good so that you're more like Jesus. And I'm hoping you're looking for ways for things that you could do that will make me be more like Jesus. I think a lot of us are afraid to sometimes speak truth to each other because we're scared we're going to lose each other. Maybe we think, oh, I don't have the right. My life's not all together. There's a lot of reasons we don't do it. But Paul was willing to risk losing them entirely for the sake of the gospel. We don't want to lose people casually. We don't want it to be callous. We want to be candid, but not callous. We want to fight for each other. I remember sitting with Rigby, who kind of started the common ground, and uh, your pups. And man, we sat down in the cafe at Ranavash, and I'm like, hey, Riggs, what's happening? And he's like, Don, eat. And we sit down, and he says, hey, Don, you've got, you, your life is so filled with self-pity. Self-pity is the breeding ground for demons. You're never going to hear God's voice unless you settle this thing. Cool. I was like, <laughs> oh, oh. I was devastated. I mean, I left the coffee. I was like, what just happened there? Like, I thought we were mates. I thought, you know, things were going well. And what does self-pity even mean? And what's the demons got to do with it? Man, I can tell you, it hurt. It struck deep. This is someone I wanted to be proud of me. He, he was a father figure. But man, I so appreciate that moment. Because self-pity kills. You know, when we're always like, oh, something bad happens. Oh, it always happens to me. Oh, like, what did you expect? Like, that's just my life. You know, it's just like nothing good ever happens to me. We kind of get so the sorrow, godly sorrow just takes us into ourselves and we've got to start going to God and saying, you know what, God, you're good. My life is in your hands. Nothing happens to me that you don't know about. Everything that does happen to me, you use for your good because I love you and I'm called according to your purpose. And we start to put that, man, I, I, my life was transformed, but he had to be willing to risk it. I had the relationship with him. I'm not a stranger to him, so we don't, just cruise around, you know, telling each other we've got demons in our voices. And it was more about the voices. So listen to what I'm not saying. I do not want us to think we must put on our moral police badges. Now we are the police, policing each other, looking for fault in everyone. Oh, this thing, oh, what time did you come this morning? One minute late. Prioritize Jesus. Look at Paul. Paul acted in love. His motivation, he said, I'm not trying to condemn you. I'm not trying to make you feel bad. I'm not trying to prove that I'm better than you. I'm not trying to prove that you're falling short. I want us to live life in the gospel. I want us to experience fullness of life in Jesus. That's what motivated him. And that's what needs to motivate us. We need to ask God for a heart of genuine love and concern. That our motivation when we speak to each other in love is to see each other lifted up, restored, redeemed. There must be no condemnation. There must be no embarrassment. We're not trying to embarrass each other to show each other up. We have to love each other enough to want the best for each other. To realize our lives are tied together. This is the most loving thing I can do for you and for me. Okay, let's, let's keep reading. We're going to discover how well this ends. We're almost there. See what 
This godly sorrow has produced in you what earnestness, what eagerness, indignation, alarm, longing, concern, readiness. See, these guys are like, their hearts are soft and tender and humble. And when Paul writes to them, they realize, there's something in my heart that's not wrong. I want to fix it. I want to make it right. I want to, Paul, what can I do to make it up for you? Like, let's talk about it. Let's grab a coffee. How do we connect? How do we chat? How do we put this thing behind us? How do we find real? There's this beautiful tenderness. You know, when someone comes to us and with that right heart, how we respond really matters. Are we going to be tender? Are we going to be humble? Are we going to say, well, I really want to think about that. I want to do that soul work. Yeah, I'm a bit sorrowful, but... I want it to lead me to repentance if that's what it takes. I love it when Paul writes that, that he wants them to see how devoted to them he is. I couldn't help but think of this scripture in 1 Peter 4.8. It says, Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sin. I wonder if and it's Peter who wrote that, who betrayed Jesus and was restored. I wonder if when he's writing about that, he's thinking about this. That actually the love that we have for each other, expressed rightly, covers over a multitude of sins. It rescues us from a multitude of sins. It takes us to, that sorrow takes us to God that leads us to repentance, that we deal with a whole lot of sin. Love covers a multitude of sin. It brings us to godliness. Beautiful. Okay, last movement. Repentance brings encouragement and joy. Now Paul, as he writes this, he's just gushing. I mean, you could picture it's like a diamond, you know, a diamond comes out of the intense pressure in the earth, and then you get this beautiful diamond that's formed. Paul's like, he's been through this intense pressure of life and circumstances and difficulty, but he comes out just seeing the gold and the diamonds, the beauty of what God has done, that God, even through this most difficult time, you've brought us to repentance, you've brought us to reconciliation, we're encouraged, we're joyful, when we say yes to God, it's such a good thing for us and for the people around us. It's delightful to see what happens when we say yes to God, when we humble ourselves, when we love each other like we should. Good things happen. Imagine for a moment that Paul hadn't spoken to the church or they hadn't responded well. Imagine if that it was a bad ending. If the church had turned rather into regret or bitterness in their relationships. A church would have been led astray they would have followed after another gospel. The reputation of Jesus would have been damaged to the compromise in the church. People would have been looking at this church saying, is that what Christians are like? Relationships would be in tatters. Titus would be discouraged and distracted. You know, maybe Titus would have, like I said, would have left the ministry because actually this was such a bad experience and they actually threw stones at him on his way out. He might have just said, this is, I'm out. Or maybe it would have taken him years to recover. Who knows? Paul's mission would have been impacted. He would have had this relational limp for the rest of his life. What could have been? What would have been? It would have started to... Resources would have dried up because actually the church in Corinth gave him a lot of resources for his continued missionary journeys, which we're so grateful for because this is how the church was planted. It sounds horrible. It's just dreadful when we don't say yes to God. Repentance brings us to reconciliation with each other. It brings us encouragement and joy. Let's trust God for that. Why don't you, band, come up? I want to pray for us. Why don't you stand?
I've spoken to us about quite a, a few different things. And I, I want to right now just, I want us to take 90 seconds. And I want you to just stop quiet in your heart and say, Jesus, what are you saying to me right now? Can you do that right where you are? And then give us a minute and a half to do that. God, life is full of sorrow and trouble. Here Paul's writing about relational trouble, physical trouble. We all experience trouble in different ways. And God, the sorrow that comes, we want to ask you that you would teach us to take it to you so that it becomes a godly sorrow that leads us to repentance and to godliness and to Christ-likeness. Thank you that you are the God who can redeem, that you can make new, that you can undo that which is broken, that which is wrong, that which has troubled us, that which has hurt us. You can undo. You can make us whole. You can restore. And I pray, God, for every relationship, every hurt, every pain, that it would become a godly sorrow that leads us to you and your grace to repentance. And I pray, God, for for common ground Weinberg. I want to pray, God, that you would make her more and more beautiful through the love expressed to each other as Christ follows, who said yes to following you here. That you would knit this community together, not only in friendship, but in deeper, deeper love where we contend for each other's spiritual health and well-being and vigor and love for you. That we would pray that we would stand with, that we would support, that we would lift up, that we would speak goodness, that we would show up, that we would bring our lives and our gifts and our talents and our treasures to bear on each other's well-being. For your glory, God, for the good of the city, this town, for Weimar and beyond, that they would see you and know you and see a unique people here. As we sing this closing song, I, if you want to, you can sing along. But if you prefer, just use this time to continue to respond to God. Because the the thing here is that this is a practical response. It's likely you're going to need some courage and some boldness to bring restoration to relationships or whatever it is that God's saying to you. Ask God for that in this time. Let's go for it.